Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. The Appetite is all about issues of food, body, sport, and mental health. And today we have a guest, Joe Langford. And Joe is a therapist and speaker. He actually also has a podcast that you'll hear a little bit more about later. Joe's work as a therapist primarily focuses on working with teens and particularly around the issues of sexuality and consent. Joe also does work educating parents of teens on how to understand conversations around consent and the role of technology in their kids' lives. On first thought, you might not necessarily think that conversation around consent or technology or even on kind of teaching sexuality to teens might be relevant to you, especially if you're not a teenager. But this conversation around consent is incredibly important for both anyone that interacts with teens or has been a teenager before. The conversation around consent in general is one that requires a sort of bodily attunement. It requires the work of being in touch with yourself and being willing to be vulnerable in front of another person. And so whether or not you are actively thinking about how to talk to a partner about consent or a child about consent, this conversation today definitely will introduce some ideas around how consent is actually something that anybody might want to learn about, particularly in the work of eating disorder recovery, the process of any kind of attunement, whether that be around food, around exercise, or around sexual intimacy is really, really crucial. So Joe, welcome. Thank you very much. Hi. So tell us a little bit. What what do you do? I'm a therapist by trade. I work mostly with adolescents, mostly the boy flavor of that. <laughs> um, but I've got female clients occasionally as well. And then I have a kind of part of my practice that I devote to kind of more proactive sex education and tech education, mostly directed at parents of the adolescents and kind of let the information kind of trickle down to their kids through me. That's wonderful. And you have a new podcast, right? Uh, I do. Yes. <laughs> I do. I have a new podcast and I have no idea what I'm doing yet, kind of sort of reinventing my own wheel. But yeah, it's cool. and it's about technology. It's called Appropriate. See what I did there? Yes. And it's, all, it's about social media apps. Every episode I do sort of a deep dive into a different social media app and kind of give parents a little heads up about what it is, how it works, what to look out for, how to talk to your kid about it, that kind of stuff. Wonderful. <laughs> so... We're going to be talking specifically about consent. How did you come to that, the kind of the depth of that topic within your work? I'm kind of specialized in sexuality in general. That's kind of like the main focus of my practice and all different sort of permutations of that. And that's how the technology piece came into it as well, because you can't talk about sex now without talking about technology. And you can't talk about technology without talking about sex. Those are kind of intricately mushed together in a way that I think we're not going to ever be able to undo. Not necessarily a problem, just more like a factual thing. But so dealing with kids and sexuality and technology, like consent issues come up all the time. And so that's that's kind of a, a main focus of my work right now. How would you define consent? Um, so I have a when I work with kids, I work with kids. And so I, I do lots of things to kind of help kind of slam it into their ears and sort of keep it inside their skulls. And I have a mnemonic device around consent that I call I'm sure, I-M-S-H-U-R. So consent should be informed, mutual, sober, honest, understood, and revisited. So that's kind of how I put it to kids. How did you come up with that? 
I love wordplay. Yeah. <laughs> like the name of my podcast. I love portmanteau words and acronyms and initialisms and all that kind of stuff. So just kind of playing around with, with the terms and came up with it. And so it, it kind of works out because you can be like, I'm sure. Are you sure? So when you talk about that, I'm sure, are you sure, do you teach kids to talk like that or how do you? Yes, I spend a okay. kind of an inordinate amount of time teaching kids how to talk about it because there's this whole thing with kids now where everything's awkward, right? Which it's supposed to be. And, and, and for some ages, that's totally age appropriate. But as they get older and get more experienced and start interacting with each other through their tech or like in person without their clothes on, it becomes important for them to understand that like nobody ever died because something was awkward, right? It's And it's kind of supposed to be awkward. Like the first naked time with someone else is always going to be awkward no matter how old you are, especially, you know, if you are younger, but especially also when you're having a first time with somebody. Like it's it's going to be a little bit silly. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. It's going to be a little bit cloddy and klutzy and, and that's okay. So kind of talking kids off that ledge and saying – it's all right that it's going to be awkward. Just have the conversation anyway. And then giving them scripts to, to be able to talk about in those moments becomes important. I love hearing that. And most of our audience is grown-up kids, I guess. <laughs> That's the way that We're I would probably – Exactly. It's exactly what I'm trying to say, that like most of the listenership is adults. And knowing that almost none of us had a conversation, I would assume, around – how to talk about sex, first of all, but then also how to talk about sex or intimacy while you're in the moment. That seems like a foreign concept. Absolutely. Um, so how do you introduce that? How do you teach that to somebody? Well, I don't have a formula set. It kind of goes kid by kid. Yeah. But generally speaking, I think I probably try to figure out where the kid is at or where the person, where the grown-up kid whoever is at and what are they trying to accomplish in the moment? Like, are they looking to try to get a date? Are they just making friends? Are they actually like talking about having the sex with someone with another human and then kind of figuring out, so like, what is their end goal? And then, and then kind of checking in with them about what's, what's your plan? How would you achieve this in a socially appropriate, positive, healthy, life affirming way and see what they say and then kind of give them little tweaks as, as I go. I think that's important for kids to be able to have a sense of purpose for themselves and and kind of test out what they would do in a safe space, like with me in my office, rather than just like doing the trial and error with somebody else. And then I can say, hey, that part was great, but this part you probably want to like massage and work on a little bit. What do you what do you notice in terms of like the places where you would maybe give that kind of feedback? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, list. Uh so I work, like I said, mostly with teenage boys and oh man <laughs> it is dark days out there i will just say nobody knows how to flirt anymore like flirting is just gone by the wayside and well i am like i don't think i know how to flirt either so wait <laughs> so how how would you say the difference is these days versus maybe what you have experienced in the past or well, older generations well none of us got any training no. on it either <laughs> like, like like i remember the 80s like Kind of, you know, growing up in the 90s, like there wasn't just a lot, but we did have at least like television, you know what I mean? And so we got to see, even if it was just like the goofy sitcom flirting fails, like we learned what not to do. And and then the big grand romantic, will you marry me gestures of the movies. And, and we got to kind of sort things out a little bit. We had role models in that way, but kids don't watch television the way that we did. 
right? They're much more likely to just be watching a YouTuber do a video. Even that, like that interaction between humans and between people, kids aren't really getting that in the same way that we did before. And with the advent of like texting, you know, just guys just don't do not know how to flirt anymore. Like the dick pic is like dinner and a movie now. <laughs> like that's how, that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Can I say dick pic on here? Sure. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> so in that, like I, I just was very struck by you saying that as people watch YouTube and they're just watching someone talk to a camera most of the time or narrate something, there's sort of a one-way street to that. So you're absorbing a one-way street and then to learn how to interact with other people probably learning how to do that in a way that is first about you and maybe how you would assert yourself or what you want or what you think and all these things. Does that feel right? Yeah, it okay. absolutely does. And I think, you know, because like you said, I like how you said the one, one-way one street. Like you can't learn how to drive by only looking at one-way streets. Like that's not no. how it works most of the time. And so, yeah, it throws kids off a little bit and they don't have any role models. They don't have a template to try out. They don't have a list of what not to do. They're just sort of existing in this vacuum and they have to recreate it on their own and it causes lots of problems. And then we overlay sort of the Insta gratification thing of things like Tinder or texting. It's just kind of right there. What I notice even in my generation, that there wasn't a, there's not a lot of opportunity to learn how to be intimate. Like I grew up learning how to be intimate over AIM, and I mean emotionally intimate. Like, okay, how do I put myself out there and say that I actually want to know what's going on and how your day was? And now, yeah, okay, I have a crush on you. Or like all the little things that happened over AIM. Like there's not necessarily a learned sense of how to be on a two-way street with anybody. Right. And things can happen there. Like, it's not necessarily something that wouldn't be able to happen over text, but it is a different environment. It is kind of artificial and and removed. There's a barrier there. You know, all the that whole host of human interaction that doesn't get translated through screens. Even in the 80s when people just, like, talked on the phone with phones that plugged into the wall all the time. Like, at least they were in an active conversation with someone and you could hear voice inflection and sarcasm and that kind of thing. But that stuff does not translate over screens. All the body language and all that stuff is just absolutely absent when we interact through our screens. And you have to be able to have a certain level of, I think, social skills and and etiquette and savvy, I think, to be able to fill in those gaps when you're interacting over a screen with someone. And kids just don't have that yet, just by virtue of their lack of experience. Absolutely. I would also say, like, growing up as a woman and being socialized as a woman, I feel particularly empathetic to, I guess, the the position that I've been in to be really accommodating as well. And so when I think about consent, uh, I really think about what it means to be disconnected from your body too. Right. And being disconnected for your bo- from your body for the sake of another person. That's something that I feel like I'm socialized to do in a conversation all the time. And so when it comes to actually the boundaries of my own body, it has been hard to figure out where to suddenly have voice for my own opinion or my own need. And I have a, yeah. so much empathy for that 
aspect as well. Like, you know, what we've done to our girls in this country is is kind of heartbreaking in terms of agency over their own bodies and ownership of themselves, being like a protector of themselves rather than kind of orphaning themselves to someone else's cause. It's just terrible. And I think that that's interesting that you bring that up because that's a way that this is connected to what you do in your practice in terms of how do you subscribe to yourself and your body and think of it as something worthy and protective rather than making choices based on someone else's lead or value or judgment or standard, right? Absolutely. I love the way that you just put that around like being the protector of your body rather than orphaned to your body for the sake of someone else. Within, I think, the eating disorder world, in whatever iteration, I think someone often struggles with a relationship to food or a relationship to their body. I think there's some sort of orphaning that is happening or has happened previously and that is being worked out by undernourishing the body or stuffing things down or, or whatever else is happening in different eating disorder behaviors, yeah. which to me feels like this is also like such a beautiful place to learn about consent. Because, like, as you tune into the cues of your body and actually honor, like, I'm hungry, I should be nourished. I am, like, hungry and, yes, maybe I'm concerned about my weight, but my body needs to be taken care of and I get to eat. I think that there's a similar process potentially in learning how to talk about sex. And then even sort of the inverse of that, if you aren't on the same kind of team with your body, then even learning how to give consent or get consent or even having it occur to you to do so, I think for some people may become less important because you're not just not valuing your body anyway, right? I would imagine that's really difficult. The people I've known in my life who have struggled with disordered eating, you know, they do. It's like someone else's agenda, right? Like, is that person going to like me? Right. If I lose weight, I'm too fat. That's so my dance instructor says or whatever. There's like an external thing that's sort of feeding their image of themselves that they're paying more attention to rather than what's actually happening for themselves in their own body. If you're distracted by other people's agenda, I think the concept of like, oh, should they be asking permission before they do this or ask me this or send me this picture on my phone doesn't necessarily occur to people maybe. Right. Do you find yourself teaching people to have an eye for that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do. And it is, it is one of the more frustrating aspects, I think, of my job. I love my job. I love working with kids. Um, they're hilarious and kind of exhausting at the same time. <laughs> so with the boys, it does come down to the these social skill aspects, right? And so even just with the technology, just like – don't just send a picture of your swimsuit area to someone who didn't ask to see it. Like, do you get a lot of dates that way? Like, would you just do that in the lunchroom or whip it out after soccer practice? No, of course I wouldn't. Why do you do that with your phone? Oh, I don't know. I just do. And, you know, then I talk to like girls particularly, right? Not to make a huge gender sweeping observation, but they are usually on the receiving end of those kinds of things. Like boys tend to get that ball rolling. But, you know, I just say if he this penis out in a parking garage and showed it to you like you would call the damn police, right? And yes, of course I would. Like, why is it different? Because it's on your phone. And they go, I don't know. It just is. And it makes me want to light myself on fire. It's mm. it's just it's like heartbreaking, right? And then they'll respond, right? And so girls will send pictures back. And so many of them, if I had a dime every time, they would just say like, oh, well, 
they sent me a picture and I felt kind of rude not sending one back. So I reciprocated. And just that whole, like you were talking earlier, like that deference and the way that we've sort of trained our girls to sort of like acquiesce and operate under someone else's agenda rather than staying solid and punching them in the neck or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Just being able to like stand up for themselves and defend themselves. It's just, it breaks my heart sometimes. So you lecture on these topics, is that right? I do. And you also have your private practice. So I think I want to hear more about sort of like what what your broad strokes would be and then kind of what some of the more fine detailed print would be. You know, obviously when I talk to kids, I speak a little bit differently than I do to grown-ups. I don't I don't think I sound very different. I think this is how I typically sound when I speak, mm-hmm. but the targets will be a little bit different sometimes when I'm speaking with kids and when I'm speaking with the parents. And I do really enjoy doing talks with parents because unless it's my own client that I have like a rapport with in my office, kids don't want to hear what I have to say, right? So if I give the parents information and then they can kind of do like inoculations with their kids about it. But when I speak to parents about how to speak to kids about consent, I do kind of try to empower them with just a little bit of sort of forethinking, you know, (laughs) I'm a parent, I don't know if you're a parent, but as parents, like sometimes we have to make these choices, you know, everyone is like on a line. And so we can parent in any given moment for that moment, like that dot on the line, or we can parent big picture for the sake of the line itself. So I I encourage parents to kind of focus around consent stuff sometimes for that bigger picture line so that when the kids are in those dot moments that they have a little bit of energy or information or empowerment themselves. And so one of the things that I do is try to get them to use the word consent when they're talking to their kids, just working it into conversation. Sometimes we think it just is all about sex all the time, but, you know, I just say you can just swap it out for permission at any given moment. And so, like, with kids, you can say, oh, are you going to use your brother's lacrosse stick. Did you get consent before you took his lacrosse stick? And just kind of throw it out there so that it becomes part of their mentality and vocabulary, I think is really important. With little kids, teaching them anatomically correct names of their body parts. I deal with a lot of kids. And in terms of sexuality, like I see the dark side of stuff a lot. And so when kids aren't able to name their body parts, it causes a lot of problems. And some people get freaked out about that, I think. Uh, There was even an article just yesterday about a school who was, like, consequencing kids for using the real names of their body parts. Wow. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. It's crazy-making to me. Mm -hmm. Like, it's actually a protective factor in reducing the kids' chances of being sexually abused just by virtue of knowing the names of their actual body parts. Why do you think that is? Uh, Because I think it's empowering. I think if you're actually, like, labeling and talking about someone's whole body, that they kind of develop a little bit more of pride and ownership in it. And so they're much more likely, I think, to take steps and be aware of the boundaries between that body that they have and the rest of the world. And then if, you know, something does happen, then they have vocabulary to talk about what happened and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's good in terms of that. And But we shy away from that sometimes yeah. and use like pretty euphemisms and goofy words and stuff like that. That just is so striking to me. Like that feels very touching in a way. My background is in writing and to think about like the power of actually putting a word to something 
especially as a way to combat discomfort or shame or sort of a hiding that might happen when you suddenly feel uncomfortable and a boundary is being crossed and you don't know how to use your words. Like if you don't even have the words to begin with to articulate what's happening for you during or after or before, I can imagine just the the confusion and the kind of cloudy fogginess that you would be in. And shame, right? And I think in your work, you probably see that a lot, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so we don't make up weird names for our elbows or our noses. (laughs) It's just like the swimsuit areas, like calling them swimsuit areas. And so if there's a kid and they're like, well, this is part of my body and like no one's ever even told me what it's called, like, is that worth Mm. paying attention to or protecting or caring about? Right. How important is that thing, right? Yeah. So that that kind of stuff I think is important. But as Americans particularly, we get afraid of certain words like they're Voldemort or something. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) that part that shall not be named, including the word rape. Like people are afraid to say the word rape in front of their kids. And I really encourage them to do that. We don't do those kinds of things with other things that can happen to our kids, right? Like running at the pool. Like we tell our kids not to run and we we teach them how to swim and we talk to them about – pool safety. And we say the word drown, right? We don't want you to drown. So Mm -hmm. you're going to learn how to swim. And this is how we protect ourselves. But even some parents who are really well-intentioned and in it with their kids, they just kind of don't want to say the word rape. It's too scary. It's too scary. And I get it. And it is scary. But so is drowning, right? That's one of my deepest fears, actually. Like The idea of drowning, like, it freaks me out. But they can't stop me from saying that word with my kid. You know what I mean? If I'm not saying the word rape with my kid for some reason, like, that's that's about me. It's not even about my kid. And as a parent, like, I, I need to get over myself and get in it so that my kid knows how to hang out at the pool and be safer than hopefully they would be otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things are stuff that I talk to parents about. With kids, I think letting them know that they can have ownership of their bodies which is a nice conversation that I think is getting some traction more uh, over the last few years. Like that vibe um, about, you know, you'll see all the memes, especially around Christmas time. They start to pop up of like, tell grandma, like she needs to ask for a hug if she wants a hug. Don't like make your kid just give uncle so-and-so a kiss goodbye after Thanksgiving if he doesn't want to. You know, those kinds of things I think are really important and powerful and probably not done enough. I know, like for myself, like I try to do that with my kids too, and it's hard to do all the time and and can also come back and bite you in the butt if you don't watch it. My daughter had an issue uh, last year with the flu shot. She did not want a flu <laughs> shot, and she played the card, and she's like, it's my body, and I don't want a flu shot. And I was like, oh. So savvy. She got me, you know. <laughs> and so I was like, fine, okay, that's fine. And then we – Worked it and prepped ahead of time. And so this year uh, we talked to her and she got her flu shot. But uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? And I got I got put into a corner too because I was like, oh, she's got a point and how am I going to navigate this? And But it was worth it to me in the moment to like let her have that sense of power over her body and create a boundary for herself. And we respected it. But as a parent, it was hard to do. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> I believe in flu shots. I think that's a really good thing. <laughs> um, and for boys particularly, I think, you know, teaching them to see rejection as part of life. Boys need to be able to hear the word no. Everything about boy culture in America right now teaches them to pick a goal, go for it, don't take any crap, don't give up until you get it, push, 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 push. Everything from how we talk to them about 
grades and studying in school to video game levels to watching YouTube videos. Like it's just like, and then the next one starts and you just go for the next one and you go for the next one. It's all about acquisition. It's all about dominance. It's all about spreading yourself out as much as you can. So any chance that we can get as parents to kind of remind our boys that they can hear the word no or they can be denied something and the earth will still spin on its axis. They're not going to burst into flames or anything like that is uh, a really great thing. I was just working with a family last week actually and talking about like that game when kids are little, like red light, green light, red light, green light. And just keep doing red light, green light even as your kids get into like middle school and high school and they want to go to the movies with their friends or they want to go ride their bike or they want to go watch, you know, change the channel and watch something else and just say no, just just to do it. Just as a parent Ooh. muscle to flex, just like lay it down and you don't have to explain it to them and no. And then you can say yes in five minutes, but just say no for now and just get give them that muscle set of hearing no and being and tolerating cool with it, it and yeah. tolerating it. Oh, I um, love Because we don't train our boys how to do that. And then – we get mad at them in a sexual situation when something goes south, but we don't train them ahead of time how to do it, you know? So, like, I'm feeling so much in this conversation. I think that I'll just name that both out loud to you, but also on the podcast probably too. Just that it's a conversation that even just talking about it at this level, I think, is one that brings up a lot because there's so much ingrained in our culture to not necessarily talk about it. Right. and a million different experiences of just being in the world where you can notice like, oh my God, that wasn't addressed or this wasn't addressed or wow, that would have been different or that you just, our culture doesn't, doesn't participate in this conversation well. It doesn't. No. I'm curious about the acronym that you had there and sort oh, yeah. of the, the different details. Can you go back to that and say more about the, the details of that? I'm sure. Sure. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sure. Um, <laughs> So the the I is for informed. So consent should be informed. So with kids particularly, really having them define their terms. So when we talk about sex particularly, there's kind of sort of two categories of those euphemisms that we talk about. And sometimes they're like pretty words that don't really mean necessarily what they are um, intimating, like making love, right? Or there's ones that are about like power and conquest, like doing it, uh, hooking up, you know, that mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And so getting kids to really define, like, if you want to, like, hook up with somebody at that party, like, what does that mean? Like, when you say hook up, what are you talking about? And getting them, even if they still want to use the slang, that they can actually also say two more sentences and say what it is that they're wanting to do. And just being really clear about how to define the terms and so that people can make more, like, informed, eye-for-informed decisions about it. And what I tell kids is if you can't talk about it, shouldn't be doing it. Like that's kind of a good sort of rule for everyone for life, I think. The M is for mutual. Uh, I think equality is pretty much key in these situations. So people who are like too far below an age range or a development level or maturity or life experience or authority level, like supervisor and an employee at the hamburger place, like – there may be rules there at your work that make getting consent or giving consent 
messy and difficult. So making sure that people are are on a an even playing field in that interaction is really important. Uh, the S is for sober, kind of a duh, but with kids, it's not necessarily. I've done talks like at frat houses at UW here and gone and talked to them about that. And, and I say, if you're too drunk to drive a car, you're too drunk to drive your genitals. Like if you are <laughs> inebriated, even if you're both blotto, you know, just like off the charge, you're both like equally drunk or high or both or whatever, uh, you can't get true consent from someone and they go, what? Oh no, are you kidding? <laughs> and, and it just like ruined their weekends all the time. Their college experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. The H in I'm sure is for honesty. So it needs to be a real yes, right? And so particularly with boys and that sort of like get that video game level achieved kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, if they say yes, you know, after you've asked 20 times or you know, it's been like half an hour of whining and cajoling, like that's not really a yes. Like the goal is not just to make the other person say a word that sounds like yes. The goal is to have somebody really actually want to do something with you. So again, back to the idea of the one-way street or the two-way street. Yes. Like, can you actually get on a two-way street with someone yeah. and know that you're together on something yeah. and choosing it? Rather than just go bumper to bumper, headlight right. to headlight, and then right. push them backwards as you go down the road. Like, exactly. it's not going to work. No. Nope. The U is for understood, that it's not just about getting to that yes. Like, consent also means that people get to say no and not hearing a no doesn't equal yes, maybe doesn't equal yes. Like, you want to hear the word yes, but you also want to have your radar tuned for the word no. And then R is for revisited. So it's not a video game level. It's not an achievement that you get, that it is a process that goes over time that needs to be revisited. You know, just because they said yes today doesn't mean that counts for tomorrow. Just because they said it five minutes ago, they can change their mind midway. If they said yes to A and B, that doesn't mean that D is on the table. Those those kinds of things come into play because kids don't necessarily naturally understand that either. In fact, there's like apps for it now. Like have really? you heard about consent apps? No. That are sort of like meant to be helpful in that way. Like – the college party, like they're both getting a little drunk, but they're like, hey, let's ask this. OK, do you give consent? Yes. And they push the button and they sign the thing and then they use their thumbprint wow. and they get consent. But then some kids are like, we got the consent. And then they think that everything is on the it's table. Like, like contract like, suddenly. Blanche. And so it just actually comes, sort of circles back around on itself in a really unhelpful way. Like it's still you still have to have conversation and know how to have those conversations and use your actual words. Like there's not an app for these kinds of basic human interactions. It's not a transaction. It's not a transaction. I yeah. mean, it is, but it's not like a simple one. That, no. Like, You're not purchasing something <laughs> that you then have property over. Yeah. 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 Which I think, again, the more specifics there are here, I find it so helpful to also think just more generally about the process of being attuned to yourself and to another person and whether that's in like noticing with yourself through the day what do I want to do with my open Saturday? How do I like this? How do I like that? Hmm, like I think I want to go on a walk. Like all of those things I think are such a helpful way of learning identity and learning attunement so that also in intimacy you can learn to say, huh, I kind of like that or "Mm, no, not right now or like actually learn what your body wants and what you want and be able to talk about that with someone else and then also know and assume that another person is simultaneously having a process where they're experiencing 
a whole gamut of things, even if you even if you both. Yeah, said I yes. like how you said that, and and you know, taking those moments, like any opportunity that you have to sort of like exercise your right to advocate for yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And be the person that like sends your salad back if they gave you the wrong dressing, <laughs> you know, when that right. you didn't ask for rather than just like, I'll just eat the salad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't, that doesn't help you. <laughs> no. Send no. the salad back and ask for what you want and be clear with like what you need in the moment and have a good boundary around it. And mm-hmm. then those kinds of little behaviors, I think, sort of translate into bigger philosophies about how we operate in the world or at least – I like to think that anyway. I, I think it works. <laughs> I think it sh- – I, I hope that it does. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. It was really fun. If people want to learn more about your work, where where could they find you? Uh, my website is beheroes.net, and uh, I am on the Facebook and the Twitter as well. Okay. If people want to hear me talk about this stuff, which I – Love doing, and I can do forever, um, <laughs> as you see me kind of babble on and on here today. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of pride myself on being accessible. Um, okay. I've got some books out there that people can find oh, me wonderful. in bookstores and Amazon and stuff like that, too. What are your books called? I have um, a series called Spare Me the Talk, which is sort of basic sort of puberty, sex, growing up, what's happening in my body, and then dating relationship intimacy, social skills stuff for boy, one for boys and one for girls. And then I did a kind of a similar vibe last year for queer kids. So it's the first LGBT puberty book in print. That's for amazing. LGB- I know. I was like, it's 2017 and there's no like wow. puberty book for trans kids. Like oh what, how gosh. is this a thing? Yes. So, so I wrote it and then it's called The Pride Guide and I'm really proud of it. Uh, you should be. That's Sort great. of intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I like that. So So those are out there too. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. If you want to follow along with Opal some more, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to learn more about Opal itself, our programming, or anything else about us, you can find us at opalfoodandbody.com. And please subscribe to the podcast. We'd love for you to follow along on our journey and uh, be up to date on the newest releases. Thank you so much to Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Join us next time. Bye.